Welcome to This Fundraising Life, a podcast about much more than just the numbers. I'm Heather Yando, a fundraising expert and the creator of the Individual Donor Benchmark Project. Today's guest is Steve Liu, a Senior Project Director at Compass Point. I hope you enjoy our discussion of what works for building fundraising capacity and what the most successful fundraising organizations have in common. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on This Fundraising Life to talk about your work. Thank you, Heather. I'm really excited to be here. So one of the reasons that I uh, really wanted you to be part of this podcast is because of your work with the Bright Spots Report. So can you tell us a little bit about that study and what you found about what makes successful fundraising organizations? Sure. Yeah. Well, the Bright Spots Report came out now um, about a year and a half ago. I think we released it in um, March of 2016. And it really came as a, a follow-on from a study that we had done a couple years before that called Underdeveloped. And this was in some ways a report that I think a lot of people saw uh, Underdeveloped, which was really just trying to name what a lot of development directors and EDs and anyone else in organizations that are intimately involved with development were experiencing, seeing, you know, pattern recognition in a way. Just the, the, the structure, the culture, the assumptions about what makes development work were not working for most organizations, particularly for small resourced organizations that were trying to follow what the, you know, field was saying or best practices. And so underdevelopment, I think, resonated for a lot of groups around the country and actually beyond the U.S. too. And it, it really allowed for people to ask the question, so what if we weren't doing it this way? Or what are the things that we need to just break apart and, and try in different ways? And so Bright Spots is based on looking at positive deviance, things that are not known in best practices or that are things that are not best practices per se, but are creating positive results. And so we tried to apply that with actually with the initiative and, and support of the Haas Junior Fund, uh, which has been trying to learn more about you know this area of capacity building in a nonprofit, spe- specifically social change organizations. And we partnered with Klein and Roth, Kim Klein, Stephanie Roth, who were formerly um, the editors of the Grassroots Fundraising Journal. And it was a great project to really be able to ask, you know, fresh questions about what can we learn from groups and what they're doing now. And so we basically tried to identify groups that, again, were in the social change sort of community organizing field. And we looked for groups, and many of them were self-nominated or nominated by others, who had been seeing success in not just like a year of fundraising results, but really um, something that felt like they were sustaining success. And we measured that through things such as they were either maintaining or increasing the amount of money they were raising from individuals and that they were maintaining or increasing their base of supporters with the sort of, I guess we wanted to have groups that had enough donors that, you know, they were actually doing a series of activities and programs. And that was the smallest organization had about 300 donors and the largest ones had about, uh, I think the largest were about 15,000 donors. So we really looked for some general markers of success, and then basically interviewed 
at least five people from the organization so that we could get multiple perspectives. As you might imagine, that was the development staff, the executive director, if they were not part of the development staff, someone from the board, a donor. And then we also really wanted to have at least one person in the organization who wasn't part of that kind of traditional triangle of development. And so usually it was a program uh, director or even someone in operations who had been involved in the development. So from those interviews, we really just tried to, to listen for some consistent themes of what people said they were doing or what they learned. And that resulted in us summarizing what we called four bright spots mindsets. They're really about not so much specific techniques or, or even specific practices, but a way of looking at the work and a perspective on what was important in doing that work. Great. So I think this is really interesting, this idea of looking at the positive deviance, so the folks mm -hmm. who are doing really well, and also this idea of not just maybe looking at their data, not just doing interviews, but taking a comprehensive look and including multiple people in the organization. So it sounds like a, a really useful design. And I'm curious to hear the what you've discovered through this work. Sure. Yeah. And I want to just, you know, say that I, you know, I'm really excited to share this. And I, I do, we've incorporated some of the lessons in some of the work we do here at Compass Point. But I was one member of the uh, research team that did interviews. And the two co-authors, Gene Bell and Kim Klein, really were the folks who were doing a lot of that, looking across the interviews and wrote a really good report. So just want to say that people can look that up. And I know you'll have a link to how people can find that uh, Bright Spots report. The things we learned, uh, which were really trying to share out is beyond increasing, you know, just the strength of a development team. And I know that one of the themes you've been exploring is just for small organizations, how for most groups, it's hard to even have one full-time equivalent of a development staff. So beyond thinking about, well, how many more development staff can we resource? It's really thinking about how can we have the fundraising activities and the perspective around how this is connected to our work, how relationship building and asking and drawing uh, sources of financial support from our base is important and everyone's job. So it's kind of, you know, that in a way is what the four mindsets rolled up to um, is this idea that it's a holistic approach versus thinking about how to just strengthen a specific team. I guess one of the things I, I want to say is that, you know, in the fundraising field, I think a lot of our attention is focused either on just learning how to keep up with the technology and, and the trends that technology um, is, you know, is showing us uh, around results, or to think about how we build sort of better uh, fundraising professionals. And I think the research, which i was really excited about was it, it came from a sort of organizational development or organization systems point of view that really captured culture, leadership, systems, and then from there tried to think about different practices. So what many of these groups were finding was that they used different ways of thinking about, you know, the entire group of people that were in the organization. Um, so distributing fundraising throughout the organization. And in order to be able to distribute, whether it was certain regular activities or um, just better engagement and different roles in a campaign, 
that it required having a case for fundraising be much more integral. And in the report, it talks about fundraising being the DNA of the organization. So sort of a belief system that this was not just about bringing in money once a year, but it was really about the way that most people in the organization needed to do their work or interact with different supporters in order to be successful overall. So the first mindset is that fundraising is core to the organization's identity. For that to happen, I think, that idea that people could actually consider, well, I, I have my job already, you know, how, why are you asking me to do this extra thing? Um, okay, well, I understand that it has, it'll advance our mission. But, you know, given the need to build actually trust in changes that are made, having authentic communication, being able to talk about um, people's fears, people's resistance, being able to actually disagree internally um, and resolve conflicts. Those were all parts of think, what made that shift for many groups successful was actually valuing full and authentic communications. That mindset also translated to, um, as you might expect, authentic communication with donors. And so we heard that a lot in terms of the way that people talked about their relationships with donors and the way donors talked about their relationship with the organization was that it went beyond the idea of just building an investment in the donor's interest, but really about the way that people interacted with each other and even being able to have um, and share disagreements as a part of making the ask or as a part of considering the ask. Third mindset, again, is you know, how people distributed uh, different activities across the staff, board, and volunteers. And there are many examples of people having success in maybe uh, focusing just a more engagement of volunteers or a strategy of having staff fully participating in campaigns. And of course, lots of groups still saw their board as the center of gravity and ways to actually just build a, a more authentic relationship with board members so that development was truly a part of, of their work. A fourth mindset uh, was also um, supportive of these other efforts because it was based on groups having a more systemic approach to how they use their information, whether it was you know really how they used uh, donor data to how they just track you know results overall and the changes that we're making. So some sort of disciplined approach to coming together, engaging more people in the organization in learning about what was working, what wasn't working, and then actually making those changes. So those are the four themes that uh, we share in the Bright Spots report. And we're now actually trying to, you know, in sort of building learning communities, supporting groups in applying those four mindsets um, to their specific organizations. What I really like about these mindsets, and again, we'll link to the full report so you can get even more details about it, is this holistic approach that you really are thinking about multiple aspects of the organization, and they're not simple fixes. They're not a, a kind of silver bullet. The, the things no. <laughs> that you all are suggesting are going to take time and energy to create, but that they really are the, the critical pieces for fundraising success. Yeah. And, you know, if they were simple fixes, then there wouldn't have been this kind of chronic stuckness or problem in the field. And so, yes, I think that um, what's exciting to me is I've heard, you know, different messages and I've shared it with different groups of the, over 
decades that build a culture of fundraising and and have people feel it in um, their organization. And and yet, I think by pulling these different things together, leadership, the use of systems in particular way, and then really breaking down not just what we call silos between programs and boards and, and executive staff, but really breaking down power and breaking down culture, traditional cultures that have kept those silos in, in place. I think that's the piece maybe that adds that piece of holisticness to this change. Because if people who don't have much positional power in the organization are being asked to suddenly add on more responsibilities because it's going to be good for the organization or the mission even, unless there's trust that they're going to be valued in that role, that maybe they'll have a chance to um, have more leadership in the organization, or maybe they'll have actually a, a real practical, marketable skill as a result. If none of those things are there, then in a way, then it becomes like one of those things that feels like a simple fix. We'll just ask people to do this. And most of us know that doesn't work. So I think that's the piece about really trying to figure out how to see this as a, in a way, a, a transformational shift that has to happen in the culture and the way people interact with each other. And then also many of the groups talked about this is shared work as well as shared leadership. So that value around respecting people's leadership from wherever they're doing that work in the organization is really important. Absolutely. And and I think this also, I think will help folks who are maybe in an organization that they see needs to make a shift. You know, I get questions about how to improve fundraising culture on the board or how to get other staff to participate. And this idea that it's a slow shift of culture, that there are some specific things you can do for sure, but it's not a quick and easy fix. And it's going to take time and energy and patience and persistence to make those shifts. Um, and so I, I think for, for particularly for new fundraisers listening to understand that, that this is really a, a big challenge that you're tackling. Yeah. And it feels like maybe there's actually some tangible rewards or benefits that can show up in, as you're starting, like whether it's the first six months or whatever. But, you know, there's a couple stories that we've heard in offering a program that's called the Fundraising Bright Spots, making fundraising work for your organization, where we were together with 11 organizations over, I believe, seven months. So not a lot of time, but enough time for people to meet as a group to uh, start using some planning tools to think about how to distribute uh, fundraising beyond their current formation and what kinds of changes they needed to make in roles as well as even just training and supporting people. And what we found were that a couple of groups really were able to see some real differences based on just having one, having the time as people charged with this change to think about it. And they were together with us for full days um, as two people from each organization trying to look at the situation and then think about how they might change it. That was a real benefit to them. And then actually the ones that had success engaging other people in their organization, the conversation, one group in particular that I'm thinking of were two young women who had the role of um, pretty much like program coordinators, uh, maybe one was an event coordinator, but they had the backing of their ED to really come to these sessions and to and bring back ideas and actually try them out. And at the end of that program, they had been able to work with the board in a much more um, 
uh, way that the you know the board uh, really saw their leadership. They were able to uh, write up a whole sort of identity statement around fundraising that the board adopted, and then they actually engaged people differently too in two events that they did during the time that they were in the program. With the result being one result, which I was really happy to see, was they both got title bumps and and that they became development managers and they were able to do sort of have more authority within the organization as a result of that work um, that they were doing. So I think those are some of the things that were just an example of how they got some good fundraising results, but they also were able to see some tangible changes in the way that fundraising leadership and fundraising authority was valued. Mm. I love that, that through this fundraising activity, they actually saw changes in their their position in the organization. That's Mm -hmm. fantastic. Yeah. So, Steve, one of the other reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because you actually do a number of programs like the one you just described, helping to build fundraising capacity. So I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about what those programs look like. Yeah. Well, Compass Point has offered a program in the Bay Area in San Francisco and uh, in Oakland and in Los Angeles in the last five years called the Fundraising Academy for Communities of Color. And through that program, we have graduated or um, I'd say over 300 organizations that are based in uh, communities of color have um, gone through those six to eight month programs, mostly focused on sort of fundraising leadership and fundraising uh, skills. And so we've been able to learn a lot in actually how just the whole culture of fundraising could benefit from, you know, as a starting point, looking at kind of the one, just recognizing the really rich traditions of, of giving and asking in different communities of color. And having that be a, a starting point or a foundation for for people to to then apply some of the the fundraising uh, perspectives and techniques to what the organizations are doing. But along with that, we've we've really tried different ways of supporting people as they are applying their skills throughout the organization or trying to you know create more of a practice of you know using the systems uh, you know whether it's a CRM or just really following um, uh, different strategies throughout the year. And one of the things that has been um, helpful for a lot of folks is just the technique of coaching. And we, uh, for a few years now, we've offered a peer coaching program that we call the Fundraising Learning Action Network because the acronym is FLAN. And um, we have them set up as small groups where people who want to be really looking at how their, what their own practices or uh, what their habits are around being engaged in major donor cultivation and stewardship, how they can grow in that way through um, just a regular kind of check-in with other people who are doing fundraising and getting a chance to coach others and a chance to be coached around a particular issue that might be coming up for them. You know, they're pretty simple technology. It's basically getting on the phone for two hours, trying to share some learning that's happened over the past period, and then dividing at the time and um, everyone getting a chance to get coached. So tell us a little bit more about this peer coaching model. Uh, you know, I'm really curious about what are some of the questions that folks use? 
how could people start this in their own communities? I, I do. I, I believe as you do that the peer coaching is super powerful. So if our listeners were interested in, in making this happen for themselves, how might they be able to do it? Yeah. Well, for people who are just hearing uh, the word coaching and curious what that is, I mean, I think that it really is foundational around asking good questions, questions that help open up people's thinking so that Again, the person being coached isn't getting a lot of advice or expertise from someone, but it really is utilizing those questions as a way to really think about their perspective and maybe consider looking at it differently or even remembering strengths that they've had. So that's a kind of where it's coming from. And then given that it's a lot around asking questions, some of the things that help people to um, to sort of consider as they're coaching people is questions on goal setting. What do you want to see happen? What's important about that? Uh, what would success look like to you? And really helping people to go beyond what they might feel as a tedious task or something and getting to the place where it reminds them of what's big or exciting about having robust relationships with donors, for example. There's some questions around that people might ask around the person's approach. Have you ever done this before? What worked then? Uh, what action would really make a difference to you in this situation? And then, as you might expect with, you know, major or any donor relationship where you want to put attention to, then it really is questions around the relationship itself. What do you know about this person? What do you think they know about the organization, including, you know, what have they shared about their giving and interests before? Why is this relationship important now? So many things that really can help people to be grounded in that specific person and that specific relationship oftentimes leads people to then coming across their next steps that could be more motivating to them or, or just make more sense to them about why they're, do, why they're in contact with this person. Yeah, I really love those questions around what does success look like, getting folks out of the day-to-day and really thinking about the, the why that we're doing this work. It sounds like you often have people coaching across organizations, but is this something that you've seen be successful in organizations? So if you have an executive director and a development director or a development director and a board member or something, is, would you recommend that kind of setup? I don't have specific experience seeing it in organizations in development. But I know that even at Compass Point, we, because we offer peer coaching circles to other groups, we've had um, several years of encouraging people, my coworkers, to join peer coaching circles. So that I've seen it happen here. And I think that it, it really is, it's a great um, sort of resource, internal resource for people to be able to have either three or four, or even one other person who will sit down and, you know, even rather than knocking on someone's door and saying, hey, can I get some time to talk about the situation? And it just is become sort of a problem solving session to, hey, can I have like um, 15 minutes of, of some peer coaching from you? You know, that helps the person to kind of get into the mode of thinking about their role is primarily to listen and ask good questions without trying to be tied to getting a certain result from the person. When that happens, I think it becomes much more of a tool that people can trust is, is not going to be supervision or it's not going to be, you know, something that might, could be fine in other situations, but really is more about each person helping the other person think about their work. 
Well, that kind of leads into something else I wanted to ask you about, which is thinking about managing new fundraising staff. So if you have, if you're an executive director who maybe has hired their first fundraiser ever in the organization, or you've got somebody coming on board who hasn't done a lot of fundraising work before, what advice do you have for them? Any, anything that you would advise them definitely do or anything you would advise them definitely don't do? You know, I think that's such, uh, you know, the first development person is always such a, boy, there's so many expectations on that, right? That's been the old setup of like, um, uh, putting a lot on that one hire. And so I would say the, you know, just the reminder is to think about how is this person fitting into what already exists and what you are trying to build in the organization. So not looking at that position in isolation. It, it would probably discipline any one of us to think about, well, what is our what does our orientation actually need to be like? Breaking out of any template that we might have and, and thinking about, particularly with fundraising, what are the things that we know we, we need to develop that cannot be this person's job alone? And in some ways, it might just be really thinking about what time needs to be carved out with A, B, and C other people in the organization so that this person can be successful if they are going to be the person who's being asked to bring their experience in improving a system or in setting specific goals for the fundraising, you know, what other time needs to be in place and committed to by other people um, in order to, in some ways, help this person be successful and then successful in creating more shared responsibilities in a way. So I think that that's... It's nothing new, but I think it's maybe about now that I think about these fundraising uh, mindsets more about really thinking about this as distributed versus solo work or solo work that is trying to get people to help out. Um, there's a difference there, right? And the mindset of actually having authentic relationships. So really being honest about what has happened, what hasn't happened what you expect of the person coming in, but also what might be a struggle for you um, and, and being willing to, to look at your own work differently in order to make that position uh, effective. Great advice. I think that's great advice for onboarding almost any new staff. Certainly true for that's fundraising. True. <laughs> Certainly true for fundraising. Yeah. So, Steve, I've so appreciated you sharing your time today. How can our listeners stay connected with you? Yeah, well, um, I'm here at Compass Point uh, Nonprofit Services, and you know we do a lot of different uh, types of work, including fundraising training and sort of group learning. But um, also, I'm um, a leadership coach, so um, I love uh, meeting and working with folks who are really trying to you know set bigger goals for themselves, or even just develop more of a practice in the things they want to do, including fundraising. So um, people can reach me at uh, compasspoint.org. Great. And as we close out the podcast, any last words of wisdom or advice for our listeners? Hmm. Well, you know, I, I just love that you're offering this podcast as a way for people to be taking in the learning that, you know, whether it's individual donor benchmarks or the bright spots. And I think given 
just so many things that are happening in the U.S. right now and in the world that it's, and I think it is happening, I feel it in a lot of our programs, that many of us are really trying to figure out fundraising in a way that is so much more aligned to not just achieving the mission of our organizations, but actually living the values of, of our organization's work within the organization, uh, meaning that we are living and, and creating more equitable relationships as we're doing this fundraising work. And as I've said, I think that that's so important to, the, to making the Bright Spots work successful. And I just want to wish all the listeners that ability or that opportunity to think about what would it be like in your organization to not just have, you know, better fundraising um, and more people involved, but actually people feeling more powerful or more respect uh, or more opportunity as they're doing it. That's really worth it, I think. Absolutely. And a great way to end. So thank you so much for your time today, Steve. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for joining us on This Fundraising Life. Remember that you can find show notes and links to more episodes at thirdspacestudio.com slash podcast. We want to hear your questions and comments. Please email us at podcast at thirdspacestudio.com and let us know what questions you have and what topics you want us to cover in the future. And if you haven't yet, please download this year's donor data at thirdspacestudio.com slash IDB project. <laughs>